The Perfect Ten with Steve Allen, voice of the NRL and six-time radio award winner. Welcome to another edition of The Perfect Ten. And for the first time in the history of the podcast, we're giving you two for the price of one. So in May, 20 minutes for each episode. And our feature guest, Big Dave Fairley. Dave played rugby league for North Sydney, Newcastle and St Helens during his illustrious career. He won the 1994 Rothmans Medal, awarded to the Player of the Year in the Australian Rugby League. He represented New South Wales in origin on 10 occasions and wore the green and gold 15 times and was recently named an immortal at St Helens. We discuss the great players and teams in his era. He also names his best 17. And he elaborates on the scariest moment of his life during the Townsville floods. Dave and I worked together in 2001 on a multi-award winning sports show, but rarely have I seen him show the emotion that he did during our podcast. So, let's get cracking. Big Dave Fairley, welcome to The Perfect Ten. Great to be here, Steve. Welcome to the studio. Uh, I mean, you've probably been in some studios in your time, but nothing like this. Mate, this is very relaxing. Um, If only everyone could see how good it is. Mate, you're a true pro. (laughs) Smoke and mirrors. Dave, your first footy club is probably less than 10 kilometres from here, the Arimba Magpies. Uh, Just tell us, when did you first pull the boots on? My first year for the Maggies was 1977, so I played for the under-7s. It was a great club, Arimba, in those days. Dad was a policeman at Wyong. Arimba had a rich history. I believe they started the club way back in 1896, and they actually played in the Newcastle competition. But, yeah, that's where it all started. I had three brothers. They all played, one in the age above me, one in a couple of ages below me, then one a few ages below me so we all got playing for the magpies and what were they like as players they were all good players you know you hear this story a lot of times you know they probably were better than me but they just didn't have the drive or the or the discipline or the self-discipline and particularly i say to a lot of guys you know about perseverance and, and dedication it's probably not till you get to high school you know year 10 16 where you really do have to make some sacrifices and um you know i remember many many times that i just didn't go out i trained and i used to i used to draw strength from my sound a bit weird but you know if it was a cold rainy night in the middle of winter I would go and train and I would say to myself well what's all the other second rowers doing now and I think you know everyone has their own little way to be self-driven but at the end of the day you've got to have your own self-drive and you have to want it it doesn't matter how much your parents want it your friends want it or anyone else wants it if if you want it you'll get it that's the main thing is that you sacrifice and pay the price. Where does that work ethic come from? Was it from your dad being in the police force? Dad was always encouraging. He, he loved rugby league, but he never pushed me. He could see that I was more dedicated to footy than my brothers. And that's not to say, you know, they were good country footballers and they enjoyed playing for the Magpies and, you know, having a beer after the game and that was their... They loved it. They enjoyed the game just as much as I enjoyed playing in the NRL. So I just had an inner drive. At school, we had a careers day. Everyone went and, you know, said, I want to be this, I want to be that. And you had to come back and maybe in year 10, you had to report back to your careers teacher about what you wanted to do. And I actually didn't go to it because, <laughs> so we going around the classroom and so it was sort of my turn and he said, uh, so what'd you get out of it? You know, what, what do you want to do, Dave? And I just said, no, I'm going to be an NRL player. And he said, well, how do you know that? I said, well, I am, that's it. That's, there's no other option. I'm going to be an NRL player. And he sort of had a bit of a laugh about it and all that type of stuff. But I was 
just in my head, I was so focused and single-minded that, you know, there was nothing that was going to stop me. Just for our Perfect 10 audience, you're a big unit. Hit us with your dimensions. So now I'm probably six, I'm 6'4", six about 110 kilos. I'm lighter now than when I played. I played at 114. I mean, you look at a bloke like Jason Tamalolo, Jordan McLean, they, they played 118. So they're big guys. In those days, there was a lot of big guys playing the game. And, you know, luckily, I, as they say, had a good engine and I was able to always play, you know, majority of the time, played 80 minutes and um yeah enjoyed it you mentioned about school so you go to gosford high which years later becomes a selective school and you need to be academically brilliant to get in there but you're at gosford high and you make a prestigious rugby league team tell us about the class of 88 firstly um gosford high i have some of my greatest memories are playing schoolboy football we had a we had a great team so firstly i got to play with all my brothers secondly all my schoolmates you know paul kent now hosts nrl 360 so we we had a great school team and we won a lot of carnivals and knockouts and everything that that we could participate in during the day or night we would do that because it just meant less school you know in those days you represented uh you made the met north team then you go to the state carnival you get chosen in the new south wales side so those days there was like the chs which was combined high schools and there was a combined Catholic colleges so there's only two I think there might be three now independent schools and things like that but those were the days I remember you know making the New South Wales team and in 1988 the NRL club secretaries used to go to the carnivals you know that this was the day just before recruitment managers and all that stuff come into it and I can remember Peter Moore coming up to me as a kid after you know playing for Met North in one of the games and and asking me you know mate do you want to sign for the Bulldogs and so crazy times back then the reason I went to North Sydney was one for me to access to get to training it was easiest and my hero growing up as a kid was a bloke called Mark Graham who you know probably a lot of guys now my age uh, or younger wouldn't have heard of him but he played over 35 tests he actually got voted New Zealand's greatest ever rugby league player and uh, he's living in Gladstone now and and working in the mines and I was really chuffed last year when I was working at the Cowboys and I had a message from reception that there's a guy out the front here to see he says his name's Mark Graham I just couldn't believe it because you know I've got his book I've just followed him I've sort of semi stayed in touch with him and he knows how much that he means to me and what an inspiration he was for me as a kid growing up that's all I ever wanted to be was Mark Graham and then he happened to be in Townsville and he didn't have to but he called in and wanted to say hello and yeah it was just so good to see him. Would he be one of the toughest players of all time? I think so I mean I didn't actually get to play with him so he retired the year before I played but I talked to guys like Blocker and Ciro and and those types of players and they have like and they're tough guys and they say that he he was a good player player you know like no disrespect to North Sydney probably didn't have the greatest team through the 80s had he have been at Manly or Para or the Bulldogs or someone like that he could have gone down as one of the all-time greats you know I'm a Bulldogs fan so the Bulldog army hearing that you could have been there in 95 yeah. uh, walking down the tunnel with Terry Lamb and defeating Manly you could have been there could have been there I could have been at Manly I could have been at the Dragons and could have been at the Bulldogs so chose North Sydney you know do I have some regrets not really you know so I, I knew I had to I was getting stale I wasn't enjoying my football so I got a phone call from Wayne Bennett about joining the Broncos so we agreed to meet in Sydney which we did so we met we shook hands on a deal and I was going to Brisbane and because uh, I was off contract at North Sydney so that may have been around 97 so I was off to the Broncos about a week later my father got diagnosed with terminal cancer and so you know I had to be at home for mum and and I just rang Wayne and said look you know this this is what's happened I'm really sorry I can't 
I just can't come. And but that's that, you know that's the way the mop flops. And yeah, you know, I had to stay at home for my family and and for dad. I look back and go, well, yeah, I miss playing for a premiership, but sometimes you know family's more important. So you could have won in ninety seven, ninety eight, and two thousand. Yeah. Um, You're right, buddy. Yeah. We'll take a moment. Okay, Dave, I promise no more questions about your dad. So let's continue. You mentioned that you said to the guidance counsellor you were going to be a rugby league player. At the time, did you have any indication that Paul Kent would become one of the leading journalists and commentators in the country? I don't think we had anyone had any idea that he was going to be as big as what he is now. Not even Paul. And I mean, he's still a really good friend of mine. You know, I talk to him two or three times a week. And one thing I'll say about Paul: incredibly talented, extremely smart. You know, a lot of uh, the stuff that you see on NRL 360, like that's not put on. Paul's always had an opinion. He's always stood up for himself. He's always, um, you know, posed a good argument and, and is prepared to back himself. And he doesn't back away from anyone. He was a handy footballer. He was a he was a halfback. One thing I'll say about Paul: he, he was really dedicated, and he, he took his first gig as I think working for the Central Coast Express and did a lot of voluntary work. And yeah, you know, one thing led to another, and good on him. He's doing really well. NRL 360. It's the most popular rugby league show on Fox. Yeah and I still say to him every week I can't believe that like you're bigger than Phil Gould now but good luck to him when he became a journalist he had a real target didn't he uh, I think there's a famous story about MG trying to line him up that, that is a true story Paul if he got the football he was looking where MG was coming because he was going to take his head off and there's nothing worse than that I remember a guy a bloke called Kyle White he was playing for the Magpies this was early 90s and the game was different you know so I've ran the ball up he's coming with a like a real good cheap shot like he got me real good. He got the ball and I tackled him, then came down with a nice little forearm to the <laughs> face in those days. And I just said, mate, now we're square. And he gets up and he looks at me and he was like, had these eyes. And he said, mate, I'll do 10 weeks for you. And every single time I got the ball for like the next 75 minutes, every time I got the ball, I just lo- I was looking where he was because he was, he was coming for me. The Magpies were my team. Dad went for them, loved the Mighty Magpies. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they had some great years, particularly when JT was there and Lee Crooks was there. Yeah. But I, I digress. Let's talk about your first year at the Bears. So you leave Gosford High. Yep. One year later, you make your ARL debut and you play three matches that year. Is that just a baptism of fire for a young man? You're still a teenager. Yeah, like I was in year 12, so you know, talk about the sacrifices. So for two years before that, I played SG Ball Jersey Flag. So school finished at 3.20. The train left Gosford Station at 3.30. So I would the bell would go. I would run to the train station. I'd catch a train to Hornsby. Then I'd change trains, and I'd get a train to Chatswood. I'd get a bus from Chatswood to Neutral Bay. Then I'd run down to the ground, and training would kick off at 6 o'clock. I'd get there at 5 to six and one of the guys could drive us back he lived at Hornsby so he could drop us at Hornsby station and there was a train that left Hornsby station at 8 45 and if we didn't get that train we were on Hornsby station till 10 30 at night and like there was so many times mate, we were pulling up to Hornsby station as that train was pulling in and I did that for two years and there was so many times I sat on that platform eating pizza at about 10 o'clock at night you know three days a week but they were the sacrifices we made and very fortunate enough to you know first year in grade so you know I played I think it was under 21s back then and then half a season went into reserve grade won the comp like I talk to players now so in those days first grade had two fresh reserves 
the other two reserves came from the reserve grade game. So often I would play a full reserve grade game and Frank Stanton would walk down and he'd look around the room and he would just throw you a jumper. And I can remember on one night, I actually played two full games. So I played, we're playing Manly in a local derby at North Sydney Oval. So I played a full game in reserve grade. You know, I was only a kid. Like you said, I was a year out of high school. I was still 18. Full game in reserve grade. And Gavin Jones, the first grade second row, got injured from the kickoff. And they said, you're out there. So I got 79 and a half minutes in first grade. So I say to people now about, yeah, I actually played two full games in a day. So it's like playing a New South Wales Cup and then straight away jumping out and then playing NRL. And they just can't believe it. Yeah, you know, I had to retire at 31. And that was purely physical, like mentally I was I was loving it I was playing for St Helens we had a good team I wanted to keep playing but physically my body just could not do it and that is because purely and simply there was no science in the game when I started like you you played on the weekend you played 80 minutes you went to training Tuesday you got flogged if you got a massage you were soft you'd have a few beers after the game and everything about the science is about keeping the body fresh and it didn't matter whether you played 80 minutes on the weekend and made 50 tackles in the second row or you're on the wing and you had three carries and three tackles everyone got flogged that was it so it was just a constant battle to try and constantly stay fresh because at the end of the day I always had to make sure that I was both physically and mentally ready to play on the weekend if you hear any extra noise in the perfect 10 studios it's our little Maltese cross shih tzu Benji who is the best runner I've ever seen. He's like Gebra Selesi or El Garouge. Yeah. yeah, he could win the 5,000 or 10,000 at the Olympics. He's an outstanding <laughs> little athlete. Let's get back to business, Dave. Your first three years, the Bears climbed from 15th to 10th, and then your third year, the Bears finished third on the ladder. What a final series. You go down to the eventual premiers, Penrith, but you play one of the greatest teams, in my opinion, ever assembled. You come up against the Canberra Raiders in the final series. Yeah, a lot of credit has to go to a bloke called Steve Martin who rebuilt the club. There was a lot of older guys there. They were on big contracts, so uh, you know, getting a bit long in the tooth. So Steve Martin, known as the Wiz, brought in a lot of young guys. So you know, from that Australian schoolboys team, there was myself and Jason Martin and Billy Moore came in, and then Jared McCracken got signed from the Junior Kiwis. And so there's a whole, there's probably about ten guys that came in, and they were all first graders. And he just said, you know what, you're all playing first grade. And he got rid of all the old guys and brought in all us kids. And I can remember one of my very first games. So I was still 18 and I lined up, we're playing the Tigers at, at North Sydney Oval. And I looked up, so their packs, so Blocker was the test prop. Benny was the test hooker. They had Steve Edmed, who was a, a good solid player. Out of Seagulls yeah. on the Gold Coast. Uh, yep, they had Bruce Maguire was a test second rower. Ciro was a test second rower. Wayne Pierce was a test lock. And I just remember going, wow, this is unbelievable. I'm playing against these guys. So, you know, three years in, we were first graders. It took us a long time to get there, but we had to learn the hard way. It was like throwing in the deep end and just swim. You know, we were super competitive. And that was the big thing that we really prided ourselves on was to use our skill. But the one thing our coach wanted us to do was compete no matter what happened. And he could always cop you making mistakes and, and getting things wrong as long as you were competing and doing the very best you can. And that final series, you're right. Like we, we come up against Canberra and you look at the team, it's sort of got you know, Ricky Stewart, Bradley Clyde, Steve Walters, Glenn Lazarus, Mal Meninga, Gary Belcher, Noah Naduku, Brett Mullins. Like it just goes on and on and on. And yeah, they, they were a fantastic side. And even as a player back then in the early 90s, I used to get a thrill watching 
Raiders play the Broncos. It was a whole new level. It was a different level. You mentioned the Australian schoolboys. Just back to that briefly, one of the greatest players of all time was in the class of 88. Yeah, which is who? Freddie. Freddie, exactly right. Yeah, so we I looked at that team uh, actually not that long ago. So myself and Freddie and Tim Brasher were probably the three players that, well, we all three of us went on to play for New South Wales and Australia. The majority of that team went on to play first grade in the NRL. 91, you may have been knocked out of the final series, but you make your rep debut. Yeah. What's it like to play on that stage, uh, the biggest stage in rugby league? Yeah, well, my rep debut, so first of all, it was the city team, and I can remember Jack Gibson was a coach, and I was looking at all these players, yeah, and once again, sort of a bit overawed by them all, and I remember Andrew Eddinghausen asked Jack, Jack, are we using up in in-defence or slide defence? And I'm thinking, <laughs> I don't really know what either is, you know, I'm just, I can tackle, I know I can do that. Jack looked at Andrew and just said, ET, you can use SHIT defense for all I care. Just tackle him. And I thought, I like that because I can tackle. So anyway, so I played the city country game and then I got picked for the last state of origin game that year which was at Lang Park so my first origin so I was 21 was Wally's Wally's last origin so it was always going to be a massive massive occasion yeah the greatest ever the king and I do remember, you know, I think I've probably gone down Caxton Street at its peak. Like, you know, you're talking Origin 3, season, you know, series-defining game. You know, winner takes a trophy. Wally Lewis's last ever game at Lang Park. And here we come down Caxton Street. And I can remember Tim Sheens was our coach. And it was, I must say, scary. Like, it's motivating, you know. Like, they were just giving it to us. And they were coming at the bus, cans, bottles, full, empty, abuse, banging with their hands. They did not care. They did not care. I remember Tim Sheen sat down next to me and said, mate, you loving this? I said, oh, mate, this, I love it. How good is this? Like, you know, that was motivation. That was inspiration. It was like, mate, we're going to give it to you blokes. Like, we didn't, you know, we lost the game. But for anyone to say that that scares you, it doesn't scare you. It motivates you. It's like, hey, this is it. We're here. What about the game itself? Unlike anything you'd experienced? Absolutely, mate. Went out, uh, the noise... The speed, the intensity, uh, physicality, the whole thing was just at a, a whole new level. I just remember the noise and the, and the transfer and relay of, of calls. And if you wanted the ball, if you needed to say that you were going to run under somebody or in support, how they just, you just couldn't hear anyone. So that was why combinations were so important. So you just knew like the good combinations and Queensland obviously had a few. We had a couple as well, you know, Ricky Stewart and Laurie Daly and, and Bradley Clyde. But combinations were huge and Queensland then and, and as we saw, you know, recently, probably the greatest era of origin for Queensland ever with, you know, Smith and Thurston and Cronk and Slater. Like what a combination to get a team around the park. Ninety two and ninety three the Bears missed the finals, but what are your thoughts of the back to back premiers of that time, Brisbane Broncos? They were just a class team, and they had, in my, in my opinion, I'm not going to say the greatest ever, but one of the best players, top three players that I ever played against, and toughest, was Alfie. And they've got a Ferrari out wide in Steve Renniff, but up front, no surprise, they win back-to-back premierships with 
possibly one of the greatest front rowers we've ever seen. Yeah, Lazo, um, yeah, tremendous front rower. Yeah, he, he was just a winner. Like every club he went to, he won you know, test matches, grand finals, state of origins, all that type of stuff. And yeah, you talk about Pearl, but, you know, like Steve Renouf being on the outside and being a great player. But don't forget, Michael Hancock was a test winger. Willie Kahn was a test winger. So you still had two test wingers outside there as well. Kevy Walters was in the Australian team. Alfie was in the Australian team. So yeah, what a side. That is part one with Big Dave Fairley. Coming up, the betting scandal surrounding the Rothmans medal in 1994. His coaching career, his heroes and his relationship with Phil Gould. Hope you've enjoyed this special edition of The Perfect Ten. We'll catch you next time. The Perfect Ten.